Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a special presentation of the Decibel Geek Podcast. the scenes look at some of your favorite records the stories behind the songwriting as well as the recording circumstances broken down for you and explained by a key player in the album's creation track by track memory by memory this is albums unleashed all right here we go again oh yeah it's that all important time as always every single week coming at you rock and roll style this is the Decibel Geek Podcast. My name is Aaron Camaro, joined as always by Chris Sinzak, and man, we are going to kick some ass today. You could say that again. Yeah, yeah, or again and again. Again and again. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing good. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. I am excited about this week. This is this is one for the KISS fans, the of hardcore course. KISS fans. Yes, and we've done a few albums Unleashed, and but uh, this is the first KISS one. Hard to believe it's been this long that we haven't done a KISS one yet. Yeah, and, we've uh, been holding off for something special. You know, when you get to sit down in the same room with somebody that had their hand in making an album, it makes for a really special episode. And in some cases, it's so good. It makes for two really good episodes. Yeah, and the person we sat down with had a had more of a hand in the album and probably in the final long run uh, than Gene and Paul did. Probably. Uh, we're talking, with, as you saw with the artwork in the show notes, uh, talking with producer Toby Wright, who produced the Carnival of Souls album. Yes, one of my favorite Kiss albums. And uh, one of the most divisive albums in the whole catalog. Absolutely. Catalog spelled with a K. <laughs> Controversy um, spelled with spelled a K. Spelled with a K. And uh, mostly written by Bruce Kulick, spelled with a K. Yeah, there but, you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So we, uh, you know, we've we've kept in touch with Toby since we had him on the show before, and you know, he's a super great guy. He lives here in Nashville, and we had such a great response when we had him on. And the last time we had him on, we talked about everything Toby Wright. We talked about Alice in Chains, Corn, Metallica, Kiss, all that. But today we're breaking it down because. Without a doubt, you know, we really wanted to get back together with Toby and do this album's Unleashed because, like you say, you know, it, there's a lot of talk about this album. Some Kiss some fans good, love it. Some Kiss fans just hate it. Yeah, it's a, it's a love it or hate it type album. I don't hear anyone say, ah, it's okay. 
But maybe today, for those of you that hate it and never really gave it a chance, maybe today's the day you can get a new appreciation for it. I know I loved it already. Oh, and yeah. I, and I got even more appreciation for it after talking to Toby. Yeah, I mean, Aaron and I both are fans of the album. So, you know, it's obviously why, part of why we picked the album to do. But, um, yeah, I think uh, KISS fans are going to enjoy it. And uh, we sort, we use the Bruce, Mc, Bruce Gulick's um, source material for some of the questions. And Toby sheds extra light on stuff that um, I don't think a lot of people knew about the album. So there's a lot yeah. of revealing stuff in here. And Toby definitely doesn't hold back on his feelings about how things went in the studio. And he never with does. The, with the KISS situation. Because if you didn't know, the KISS reunion basically was uh, finalized during the recording of this album. You're right. And pretty much put the squash on this yeah, album. But this week is part one. And um, so in this episode, you're going to hear Toby laying the groundwork of how he was approached to do, do the album. The first meeting with Gene and Paul. Um, the writing process for the album. Demo stage. And then we will get into the first half of the album and cover um, the song Hate through the song Jungle. Basically the first the side A of the album. Right. And uh, it's pretty entertaining, and I think you guys are going to love it. And you're going to want to come back for uh, for more next week. Definitely. Uh, before we get into our talk with Toby, let's do Geeks of the Week. People uh, seem to enjoy the Rock and Rolodex episode we did last week. I know I sure did. It was fun. You know, we called an audible on it, and uh, I think it was a it was a cool little experiment. And uh, enough people, con- con- you know, contacted us later, going, "Man, I wish I knew you were doing this." I, you know, yeah. So See, we'll, we'll do it again. We're good under pressure like that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was a lot of fun to do. So thanks to everyone who came on that and yeah. uh, we'll do it again but these are the people that shared it on facebook and retweeted on twitter uh victor ruiz david alpazar howard tate brent walter jeff hoagland dave shirt aaron baker joe polo dan miles Baco, billy hardaway justin hayes colin francis ian wiley the rock and metal combat podcast anthony Poole, mark alden taylor jason thomas broderick joe lescon brian knapp jtb's groovy record room darren parkin tom cullen daniel chaput Armando Cerna, Hoops, Derek Novak, Jack Broad, Viking Girl, and Blas Elias. Nice. Um, that must have been from the week before. I think before, it was from the huh? week before, but in a, and I'm sure I'm missing some of you. I kind of did this in a rush, but uh, anybody that shared or, or retweeted, thank you so much. And you guys are advertising. That's how we get the yeah. word out on the show. Absolutely. So I can't wait any longer, man. Me I neither. am ready for Albums Unleashed. Kiss Carnival of Souls. Part one. So, uh, well, first off, thanks for having us out. Today. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you guys for coming out again. It's great um, to see you again, man. Likewise. Right on. So, um, come out. We've uh, we do this thing now called Albums Unleashed, where we pick one particular album and we get hopefully somebody on the show that was heavily involved with the album and kind of just go through the history of how the album was made, the tracks, and and your memories of it. And today we're talking about one of the most divisive albums in the Kiss catalog, yeah. Carnival of Souls. All right. Which you know a little bit about, I think. Oh, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you produced this album, and um, obviously you had worked with the band before on Crazy Nights. You were an engineer on that album. I was. So how does the, uh, the Carnival of Souls experience begin? Who comes to you, and when did that happen? Uh, they came to me... I guess the band was looking to make a record, um, and I was recommended by Bob Ezrin, okay. um, who had produced a number of other Kiss records and lives here in, in Nashville right now, mm-hmm. That's actually. A pretty good recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> and I was living in L.A. at the time, and then so I got, a, you know, my management, they found 
who I was managed by, and then all of a sudden my manager calls me and said, hey, Kiss wants to have a meeting with you about producing a record. Mm -hmm. So I met him at uh, the old A&M studios, and uh, we went into some room and had a little meeting, and yeah. you know, with Gene and Paul, and it was, it was interesting, it was good. So did they lay out right away what the style and direction of this thing was going to be? Yeah, they kind of, you know, kind of put it in my ear why I was there. Yeah. Um, you know, because they wanted to follow um, a a little hip trend going on at the time called grunge music. So did the word grunge come up in this meeting? Yes. We want to sound grunge? Yes. That's wow. interesting, because they, they've played that off a bit over the years. Yes, I so. know they do. <laughs> <laughs> but it did come up in the meeting, um, you know, and then subsequent conversations as we were doing the record, it, it came up as well, you know. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, the bottom line was, like all artists, they want to sell music, they want to sell records. Sure. You know, they want to be on the top of the pile. Yeah, and, sure. you know, Gene obviously has a, is a big, has a big competitive personality, so, yeah. you know, he's all about being on top of the pile and whatever it takes to get there. Well, yeah. I suppose it ain't no different than in 79 when they did the disco thing. Sure. No different than in the 80s when they followed Bon Jovi and, right. you know, and, but Kiss is a band that every time they've done something outside the box, it would seem for themselves, they've usually done a pretty good job. And, you know, that's why I, I love oh, Carnival I, Yeah, we, we're, we'll both go on the record. We both love the album. Yeah. Awesome. I do too, actually. Yeah, it's it, so, but was this the meet, was this first meeting the one? Because I've seen you quoted in Behind the Mask about where Gene basically says, I want to be Billy Corgan. Oh, that was a way subsequent conversation. Oh, okay. In in the middle, at almost at the end of tracking. Oh, okay. But um, I mean, but that was kind of what they were reaching for at the time. Right? Uh, uh, yeah, and you know, I I finally did get that out of him that he you know he wanted to be like Billy Corgan. I what what about him do you want to be? Right. Because he's not a very talented singer in my opinion, and he was on top of the pile. And he so was, right. you know, Gene was very explicit. He said, you know, I want to sell records like they're selling. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Right. It's not so much that he wants okay, to be. Okay, point well taken. He wants yeah. to make that money Why don't right compromise now. being a legend? Yeah, because yeah. you're that Gene was, Simmons. That was my point. Right. Do not compromise being a legend to follow somebody who's going to be a has-been in 15 minutes. Sure. Yeah. You know, it turns out the Smashing Pumpkins are an awesome band, but at the right. same time, and have been around for a long time, but at the same time, they haven't had the, the success near success to Kiss has. No, they wound no, up... Not uh, overall. They wound but they were at their peak at that time, too. You know? Exactly. They, even though they're still around and still coming out with great music, they're not getting nearly the attention they did at that time. Right. But then it's funny to me that, you know, Gene Simmons would say, I want to be Billy Corrigan, who was a kid who grew up his whole life wanting to be Gene, Gene Simmons. Simmons. Yeah, yeah. 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 Massive yeah. Kiss fan. Yeah. Yeah, so you see how that works? Right. Yeah, it seems backwards. <laughs> but I think it's different reasons. I don't think Billy grew up listening. He probably idolized Gene and Kiss right. for what they, you know, what they were in the 70s. Right. You yeah. know, which was an iconic band. Right. And, you know, then that kind of just faded away and they turned it into something else. That would change every so often. Yeah, I get yeah. you. I get yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, in a, a lot of fans know the working title of the album was going to be Head. That it was, yeah. <laughs> was, that, was that brought up early on in the discussions about this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Was the concept it, art already finished and everything? Absolutely. It that was seems like actually. great Gene Simmons title. It, it was very, uh, what was the picture I saw? The head like with the flames. The zipper? Or the head zipper with the flames coming out? Well, yeah, and it was kind of going to be like a cross between um, Pink Floyd and the Stones. Yeah, I can so, see that. You know, the zipper was the you know, oh, like sticky, fingers. Or or right. sticky fingers, sticky or fingers, or whatever yeah. it was. 
and then uh, the flames were like Skinnerd and or oh, you yeah, know, yeah. other wish you, were wish you were here, yeah. wish you were here as lots of flames in it. Oh, that's interesting. I never would have thought that from looking at the artwork because the artwork kind of looks kind of S and M type. You know, yeah. it looks like kind of like a gimp mask with a flame coming out. Right, of it, you right. Know? But it's um, it's a shocking image, and I know I read that. And let me go ahead and say, a lot of my source material for talking to you uh, is, th- I want to say, thank God for Bruce Kulick. Yeah. Because there's not a lot out there about this album, because it right. got buried. Right. So, but thankfully, in the last few months, Bruce did a full retrospective on this album. Yes. And very detailed. And I'm going to pull some of those details out to talk to you tonight, but I will put the link for that article in the show notes. And you guys, if you're a Kiss fan, you want to know really detailed stuff about this album, Must read. go read that, that thing, because right. I'm only using pieces of it. But um, yeah, so but yeah, he said, Bruce's opinion was that that concept art probably wouldn't have flown had it gone had it come out on schedule even because he thought it was a bit too wild for what the record company would have gone for. Possibly, yeah. We'll never know. Yeah, I guess we won't because you know there was a phone call and then there was a left turn. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, the record company. The only thing that would satisfy them is four makeup faces right. on the cover of the four original members. Can you put Gene's makeup on that mask? <laughs> <laughs> um, where was the album recorded? Uh, we recorded it at uh, what's known as what was known as the Music Grinder Studios in Hollywood, California. Okay. Uh, at that time, it was on Sunset or on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and. Uh, and it's now Corn Studio. They own that place. Oh, okay. At least they own half the building. They used to. Right. Is that a pretty well-known place? A lot of yeah. big records recorded in there? Oh, a lot of big records yeah. have been recorded there over the years. Um, you know, my friend Ron Felicia, who owned Music Grinder at the time, um, you know, he built it from, it was just like a warehouse-y, office-y building thing. Yeah. And he turned it, you know, the whole downstairs into three rooms. And mm-hmm. Awesome studio. Yeah. You know, really kick-ass. Walk in, it's like, oh my God. God, this yeah. isn't where are we? You know, it was it was awesome. Had you recommended the studio, or did they pick it? Oh, I had been working there a bunch, and yeah. they were like, wherever you're comfortable, and I got a good price. And right, you know, the drum sound in the room was what I was looking for. You mm-hmm. know, because we were going to cut the record, you know, as live as we could. Right. Um, you know, because we were we were on tape. Now I'm like smacking myself. Yeah. Well, we must have. This was right during that transition, so it's we must probably have worked on. I bet we worked on tape. And yeah, we probably did both. We probably archived on digital and and worked on tape. Yeah, because I do remember punching Bruce in a shitload of times when we were doing solos, and, right, and stuff like that. And I remember the sure. the the writing for because one thing I read in Bruce's thing was that according to him the the tracking and everything took place from in late '95 and early '96. Okay, which kind of surprised me because. They were they were doing the writing for this album for a long time because I remember a long time. interviews in '93 and '94 talking right. about the psychedelic tinge sound of the new album, and I guess those, that was during demo stage, which you know I was assuming recording had already been going on during that period. A bit of recording was going on. They scrapped it all, um, and, or it turned into demos or whatever. Right. Um, it was it, um, but Bruce had a writing partner um, named Kurt Cuomo. Right. And Kurt, he's very involved on this. Yeah, yeah, and he was he was on the record before this or after this, after this, um, or before I don't remember. He was on one of the one of the bigger records before, right around this time, um, and that's how he and Bruce were friends. Right. And so they would you know he had a studio or two studios in his house, and so they you know they'd write and record over there all the time. Okay. And then, you know I don't know what the holdup was, but. 
Although I know I'm they sure were, it was songs. Yeah, and then when they were also doing like fly out festival shows during that time too. Right. So because they came, actually came here and did the Gibson hundredth anniversary show, mm-hmm. and that was a one off show they did here. Right. That was ninety four, I think. Okay. So so that was I saw yeah. But, so do you remember struggles for material at the time? Um, a bit. I do remember you know. Discussions about songs, yeah, um, you know, and which songs should be included and why, yeah, um, as to what the others were that didn't make it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know one of them was within that wound up on Psycho Circus. Yeah, yes, yeah, and that's that's the record that Kurt worked on too. Is yeah, he, yeah, he's on that one too. Yeah, but within was definitely one that was that got axed. Yeah, you could hear it even when you listen to it. It's like got the same album. It's got that feel. Carnival of yeah. Souls. Yeah. What about the uh, the song Carnival of Souls that ended yeah. up on the Gene Simmons asshole solo album? Was that I, I assume was from that? He also. claims it was demoed around that time, which it is very well could have been. That's yeah. a pretty cool song, and that fits right in on yeah. there too. Yeah, I you know I don't remember. Like I said, I don't right. remember what the outtakes were. Well, you remember more <laughs> the ones that wound up tracking and yeah, working on. Uh, you know, putting yeah. labor into. Yeah, more than the ones that I went, nah, those, that's not going to get it. Yeah, well, I know Bruce had mentioned Within didn't have the big chorus that wound up on Psycho Circus, so it was more of just a piece of They probably rewrote it. Yeah. You know? Because, yeah, because I love it on Psycho Circus. I was like, why the hell was this not on Carnival of Souls? Because, yeah, I would have. And who, on and who were the writers? Kurt and I believe and it was Bruce. Yeah, I think so. Was or probably, Gene, Gene and. I think Gene, Probably Gene's in there too. Yeah, I think he was too. Well, before we get into tra- the tracks. I've asked you about this the last time we talked. Paul and Gene have seemed to go out of their way to distance themselves from talking about this album. Like they, Gene will, Gene kind of avoids it, and then Paul basically bashes it a lot. And you know, you get the feeling that he was unhappy with what they were doing, and that he acquiesced to Gene to do this album. But I mean, do you remember Paul being a hundred percent on board and into this when it was going on? Yeah, yeah. From what I could tell, I mean, you know, I didn't know the man that well. Right. But he showed up whenever he was asked to show up and yeah. sang whatever he was asked to sing and Yeah. You know, had a lot of creative input to the record, so right. I wouldn't I, by those actions I would think he was I guess I mean does you know, he vested did, and ready did, to go. Did he seem jazzed about the material at the time? Or is he hard to read? He's pretty hard to read when it comes to that kind of thing, I think. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't even remember any, you know, oh, fucking Paul hates this song, blah, 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 right. blah, you know, any of that kind of shit going on. Right. That stands out in my mind. I mean, it could have, and we just went, oh, toss that song out then. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> oh, because Paul he's, hates it, throw it out. Yeah, because he's going to be one of the main decision makers on what goes on there. Right, and he's going to have to sing the song, yeah. so, you know, you don't want somebody right. to sing something they hate. You know, and speaking of, like, main decision makers, you co-produced this with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. I did. Now, you know, everybody from Ace Fraley to Peter Chris to pretty much everybody says these guys are control freaks. You know, was it difficult <laughs> for the three of you to get together and get on the same page about stuff? I mean, was there things that you guys disagreed with and, you know, butted heads on? How, of course. How do you settle something like that when you're arguing with Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley on about a KISS record? I mean, how do you get through to these guys? 
Well, I mean, you're talking about legends. Right. You know what I mean? And they were legends at the time that we made this record. Oh, right. of course. You know, if we were talking about, like, you know, 1973 or something, and the band well, is just coming sure, up. You and just tell nobody's... them what to do. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. You know, here's how it goes, boys, you know, and then that's it. But these guys have made, I don't know how many records before this. A lot. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. Well, way a yeah. lot. And their experience is totally way more vast, you know? Yeah. So I kind of defer to them about certain things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certain things they give me the call on. Mm -hmm. um, it just depended on what the issue was and what the circumstance was. Um, was it difficult? No, not really. You know, it was just you, you have to play the political game. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and keep in mind that nothing about anything that's said in the room is personal. Sure. It, it's all yeah. about the music. Yeah. Right. Trying to come up you know, with the best. That, ba that, bass play, that bass part sucks. It doesn't mean you suck as a bass player. Right. That means the that part, part is not fitting the song correctly. Let's do something about it and change it. Right. That's all it means. Yeah. You know what I mean? So if you're, you know, if I had said something like that to somebody, you know, I'm not, I wasn't usually that harsh with people. You know, right. yeah, Bruce, you know, I might want to blah, 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 blah. change it up a little bit, make it more exciting, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then he dig a little deeper and go, okay, fuck yeah, I can see what you're saying. You right. Know? But you have to. You really have to, you know, to bring creativity out of people in general. Right. You really have to be have a good bedside and console yeah. side manner. Sure. Yeah, I can um, imagine. You know, because getting in arguments with people counterproductive. Right. Well, and you being right is counterproductive. Right. There is no right in music. Whatever feels good to you, as a player, and fits the music to your ear as the artist, mm -hmm. is kick ass. Right. Right. Doesn't matter who likes it. That, it's your art. It doesn't yeah. matter. Right. You know what I mean? Did somebody like Jackson Pollock's fucking mess on the wall? I did personally. I like it too. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm sure there's millions of people who go, yeah, it's go, just a bunch of splatters. <laughs> yeah. Why four year old could do that? Right. Right. Why is he so <laughs> revered? Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, and somebody has an answer for that. But you, you, you know, you're. But it sounds like your style is a bit different than Ezrin's, though, because Ezrin's a bit of a, he's a bit of a taskmaster, to put it mildly. <laughs> Boy, you're being so nice. I <laughs> well, I want to get him on the show one of these days. So right, right. Okay. Nice. So yeah, taskmaster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bob's been known to, you know, have thrown a few fits in the studio. Yeah. I know that for a fact. I've, I've worked with Bob on a couple of records. Yeah. As an assistant, um, you know, coming up through the ranks in L.A. Um, and yeah, he gets intense. Yeah. And he sometimes has to have his way, mm -hmm. um, regardless of what the client thinks. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes there's a good reason for that. You know, there, well, I went through one experience with him, and I won't name the artist, it doesn't matter. But because the, the point is that, you know, he went through this whole thing, it felt like at the time that he just wanted to be right. Yeah. But it, that wasn't the case mm -hmm. in the end. What he wanted. In the end, was the guy to play the part correctly, and sit down and listen to it and evaluate it. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense? Is it kick ass? Is it great? If the answer is no to either of those questions, then let's change it. Mm -hmm. And he got into a big. It was a two-day long fight about this thing. Oh, wow! And you know, the next thing you know, two days later, that was the end result. Was them sitting there going, "Oh yeah, okay, blah 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 blah." <laughs> when they were arguing about, I mean, arguing, arguing, oh, arguing yelling shit. Throwing shit, and, yeah, you know, on. just having a big old temper tantrum thing, um, and it was, you know, they they fueled each other. I saw it happen. Yeah, you know, so it was like, oh, okay, one guy'd say something, the other guy, well, fuck you, and 
you yeah. know. <laughs> so you're not the type that's going to throw things around a room. <laughs> no, not usually. Blow a whistle at them and scream, not come even. on campers, it's time to work. No, no, I, will, <laughs> I haven't been known to do that. Um, you know, but it just, when you're talking about, you know, KISS yeah. and men, you know, who are there for a reason. Right. And they usually come prepared and ready to go. Right. And when you're talking about up and coming bands, that this is their first record, sometimes they need a little motivational help. Sure. You know, so you got to do things to motivate people. You yeah. Know, there's, and there's a million different things that you can do to motivate people to, you know, yeah. get here on time, be creative. Right. You know, when it's that time of the day, you know, because sometimes that's really hard to do. Sometimes it's really hard to, okay, whoop, oh, my creativity's on now. Right. You know, if you're fucking thinking about something else and yeah. you have to play this guitar part, you know, if it's not second nature to you and it's going to sound like shit and you're going to struggle. Right, because you're not feeling it. You're not feeling it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It all shows up in the speakers. It really does. Yeah. And they don't lie. But know? at this point, we're talking about Kiss and these guys are seasoned professionals. Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, and they've been around the block. Well, and the lineup they had at this time with Eric Singer and Bruce Kulick, some Still. consider the most superior musical lineup they've ever had. I would agree with you. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, not to take anything away from anybody that played with them besides mm -hmm. them, um, but I think that, you know, Bruce and Eric are really technically damn perfect. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, Paul, not so much, because he plays and sings at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know anybody that can play and sing perfectly right. both things at the same time. Mm -hmm. One is going to flaw, or the other is going to flaw. Mm -hmm. Just because you're trying to concentrate on two things. There's no right. way you can do it. Yeah. You know, does it come out great sometimes? Sure. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's not... If you examine each performance, they're imperfect somewhere. Right. You know, you might be a little flat on your vocal there, here, there. You might be a little late on a chord change or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that can also make something great sometimes. Exactly. Right. right. You know, yeah. so the human role. element is good. Yeah. You know? The nature of the beast yeah. is beautiful, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, so that lineup, you know, and they were... They had toured quite a bit at that point together, so there was a seriously good chemistry between the four guys. Mm -hmm. um, so when they come in and start tracking these songs, uh, you know, what, what are your first impressions of what you're hearing out of them? Although you were way past demo stage at this point, you knew to, what to expect, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I had worked with Eric before, uh -huh. um, and I knew what to expect out of him. He was just solid, period. I knew what to expect out of Bruce. Because he was just solid, period. I knew from all of the pre-production, the writing phase we had been through. And I forget how long I was involved in the record before we actually stepped foot in the studio. Oh, yeah. But it was a while. Yeah. Um, it might have been two or three months mm -hmm. of, you know, getting all the songs, picking all the songs, going to rehearsals, going to writing sessions, you know, um, showing up here and there and check on that song and this song. You know what I mean? It's just... Yeah. You do miscellaneous things to try and, okay, you know, now I got my eggs in a basket, let's see what the basket's going to look like. Right. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of that going on, you know. And so, you know, it, it became, Bruce and I got really close during that whole record because, you know, yeah. he he played most of the records. <laughs> I was going to say, he's kind, of, he's kind of the dad of this album, you know. He is. Without, without Bruce, this record would never exist, I, ever. Really? Nope. He, he pulled it that much of it together. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, he even sings on one song. Yes. Yeah, so, we, yeah we will get to finally, that. Finally, yeah. Yeah, finally. Exactly. It's a kick-ass song. Yeah, it is. You know, I love his voice. Well, let's uh, let's get into the songs. All right, so the, the first track is Hate, written by Gene Simmons, Scott Van Zinn, and Bruce Kulick. The intro has Paul Stanley 
introducing little Billy Corgan from Boise, Idaho, with the, the name Corgan played backwards. What on earth caused this to happen? <laughs> is, this, is he making fun of Gene? I think he's making fun of Billy Corgan. <laughs> he's... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't really remember how the whole banter came about, but we needed some show-style, uh, outside-the-circus-tent bantering uh-huh. type thing. Because right. that's kind of the, the stage we were setting Okay. Uh, for the song. So that's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's him on his soapbox. Yeah. It's him on a, you know, it's supposed to be him on a soapbox. Yeah. You know, hey, gather around, see the fat lady in the right. tent. You know, and so he just, whatever came out of his mouth. So it was just <laughs> off the top of his head. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't scripted or anything. <laughs> so I had to turn around the Corrigan so that it just so it didn't piss him off. <laughs> wow. I remember the first time I, I well I heard it the first time I'm going Billy who right and I listened like eight times trying to figure out what he was saying and then I found out the, in I think the behind the mask book that it was Billy Corrigan. The hell are they talking about? I was like, it couldn't make any sense. But they really love Billy. Corgan. I guess so. He was, yeah, he, was, he was a bigger part of this record than he even knew. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my god. Oh. Uh, Carnival of Corrigan. <laughs> exactly. But uh, if you, I guess you, you put Paul's voice through like a vocal harmonizer to make it lower. Is that? Is that uh, yeah. You, I, you can't tell it's Paul. Right. Yeah. I, I messed with some, you know, some. Some gear and, right. and just you know messed with it until it sounded funky and you know like like almost like an announcer kind of guy would right. would sound you know like you were yeah. would want that soapbox guy right you know so I was just trying to emulate being in that atmosphere yeah you know and I didn't want it to sound like Paul because that would sound stupid right you know? <laughs> that's wild people <laughs> right. little Billy you know. but uh, this I mean they could you I mean I am. Did you guys know right off the bat this was going to be the album opener? Because I mean, it's perfect for an album opener. Yeah. No, there was a whole bunch of different sequences floating around once we got the songs picked. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and once we start tracking and, and stuff, and, then, and when songs start coming together, that's when, you know, you start getting a vision of, you know, which song should come before which song and blah, 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 blah and the yeah. album sequence. Um, and I think that was coming together in their heads mm-hmm. as, as we were going through. And then it became apparent. Yeah, you know, at some point, oh, you know what? This is definitely the opener because Jungle yeah. was going to be the opener That's for a, a good long one time, too. and so was Rain. Oh, really? Yeah. Rain was considered a really strong possibility. As yeah, well. it's interesting. Two two albums in a row with a with a Gene track opening the album. Yeah, which that's was right. kind of out of character for Kiss. It's usually a Paul song, right. but it seems like the Gene songs are, with the exception of Carnival of Souls, usually darker, heavier Dark, yeah. kind of songs. And so a heavier, you know, kick in the face, right. like this song, set the tone to set the tone for the album. You know, it's, it's almost got to be a Gene song. Yeah. And this one's a hell of a one because it really oh, kicks you in the teeth when it when it finally kicks in. It's like boom. The riffing know? on this song is incredible. It's, yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's a really huge sick. song. Yeah, I know, and I, you know, <laughs> I think it's one of their better ones.
been since you heard that. What year did it come out? 97. <laughs> yeah, so about 94. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, it's been a while since yeah. I listened to this record. Yeah. Probably the last time I talked to you guys about it. Yeah. I think we listened to a bit of it. Yeah. Second song is Rain, written by Paul Stanley, Bruce Kulick, Kurt Cuomo. Time signature change for, for Kiss is a, is a strange thing, but it definitely happens in this song. It does. It goes from 4-4 <laughs> four, four to 7-8 at one point. Uh-huh. And uh, what was the effect you used to get, when Paul says, rain down on me, what is that effect that you put his voice through on that? Oh, let's hear it. All so right. I can refresh my memory. I don't know. <laughs> cool effects like that in this record like was a lot of that you or were, were they suggesting these mm -hmm. that was you yeah um well it's me pulling it off obviously. right yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know uh, i don't know who suggested that particular one but it was it, it always flies around the room yeah you know what i mean when you're making a record that you know sometimes there's hey dude i, I could hear a over yeah. here you know and sometimes it makes a record and sometimes it doesn't sometimes it never gets tried and sometimes right. it gets tried until the universe ends. <laughs> yeah. And it still doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's some songs where you probably feel like you could still be adding stuff to it. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, there's a record I'm doing right now. I can, I've been playing, I've been mixing it and mixing it and mixing it, and I keep adding to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was adding to it last night, playing this fucking beautiful old violin cello line. I'm like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Get the fucking thing out. It's done. Turn it into actual fucking real estate. Is it sort of, is it like the mixing board equivalent of this? Pretty it's much. Like, it's, it's like I mean, you know, gratifying just, yourself. Yeah, but it just, after a while, it becomes stupid. Yeah. You know, it's like, are you hurting the song or helping the song right now? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? And you have to really, like, you know, especially when you're producing your own stuff and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really hard because, you know, like, 
oh, but I hear this in here. Fuck yeah, it's great. Right. You know, and then you play for somebody and they're like, what the hell is that thing in there? Yeah. What? You don't like that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little overboard, dude. Oh, okay. Uh, well, what I what I love about the, the the mix on this album, though, is because, like, the, the general tracks, like, especially on Rain, like, the guitar and the bass and the drum tracker, serious meat and potatoes yeah. just heavy let's crank up the the overdrive and the gain and, and just go for it yeah but then you you'll add these little <laughs> flavors of effects which kind of offset it you know right yeah i call it ear candy yeah exactly <clears throat> and i love ear candy i mean if you you know all the records that i've ever produced i put ear candy in somewhere yeah you know in somewhere there's you know something's in there somewhere that you know like if you're you know your kid and you just buy this record you pick up this record like five years from now and you're like Man, Kiss, remember that band? Shit, they were cool. My dad said they were cool. Uh-huh. Let's listen to them. Okay, yep. they're cool. And they put on their little wireless Bluetooth headphones. And, um, <laughs> you know, the kid in the future, of course. Right. And, uh, you know, he's checking it out. And he'll hear some shit that, you yeah. know, that nobody else has heard well, before listen, because of the, you know, I, I put ear candy in there. Yeah, I listen to it today on my headphones. And I usually, when I listen, I'll listen to it at my house and, you know, work around the house and have it on the speakers. But you to, can't hear but shit on Today that. I consciously put it in the headphones and cranked it at work. I was like, holy shit, I forgot how great of a headphone album this is. Because some albums are yeah. better for headphones, and this is one of those. Right, I agree. Because you, you'll get the full effect. Because there's a lot of stuff, we'll get into it with other songs, where there's like panning one left and right on stuff. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like you, you're, not, you're only getting half the effect if you don't have headphones on for this. Well, one of the things that I like as a producer is, is ear candy. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you, have to, you take a band like this, okay? We're talking drums, bass, uh, guitar, and vocal. Right. And you're done with the instrumentation. Yeah. There's only so much that a four-piece band can do to entertain you mm-hmm. when you're not looking at them. Right. Even then, it's pretty limited. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you know, at least you have fire and tongues and you know, <laughs> exciting things like blood to look at. You can't look at that when you're listening to their music. So there has to be, you know, in my opinion, I love ear candy so that that translates to effects yeah um coming in popping in a voice changing here or there yeah. you know little tiny things yeah um and with pro tools it's so easy to do it's retarded i mean if somebody tells you oh man i can't i don't want yeah it takes two seconds right literally <laughs> you know to throw a cool effect on something and boom done you know mm-hmm. um and that can be the difference in selling a song or not selling a song because somebody might listen to the just the unaffected one and go yeah Okay, it's a cool song. And then listen to the one with effects and stuff. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Right. You know, it's like watching a movie without the Foley. Sure. You know, you won't hear the footsteps. Mm-hmm. Right. You'd be like, how did they get from there to there? Right. I didn't hear them walk across, you know, the street there or, yeah. whatever, or the rain coming down or whatever. You know what I mean? Just yeah. all those effect things you take for granted in movies because you're just watching it. And, right. You don't you think know, about it. You don't think about it. Oh, it's gone. It's raining on the show right now and... You don't hear it. I actually hear that shit. And it's really raining. Wow, cool. If it was gone, I'd be like, Something's it's raining. Yeah, something's <laughs> missing here. <laughs> Come on, it's raining. <laughs> as far as Kiss records go, you know, really none of them have that. You know, as far as so much ear candy in it, you know, and so many little hidden things. Well, the stuff but it did. fits. Yeah, you know, he, yeah, he put, a, he put, yeah, he put a bunch of it in. Yeah, but throughout the 80s, you know, it was just straight up rock, you know, and and the song, the album's leading up to this, you know, but it fits, it all fits so good, you know, it's it's hard to compare this one 
to other Kiss albums because it's so different. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so, you know, such a controversial thing with Kiss bands. Oh, yeah. It's controversial a, with a K, of course. A, of, course. of course. Yeah, everything's with a K. <laughs> and I, for the Kiss nerds listening um, from Bruce's article, Bruce plays the bass track on this song and he uses Gene's Dragonhead Padula bass to do it. And I believe him. Yes. <laughs> he, kept, he kept records of every instrument played on every track. Uh, yes, wow. he did. Yeah, we, we have, I have pictures somewhere of him filling out the books. Wow. And, you know, he'd play a track and he'd go, all right, I need to fill out the books. What did I just use? Yeah. And that's, that, that's how he knows. He was, I mean, this, this album is it's very his much his baby. Absolutely. Yeah, he, and I think did, it seemed like Paul and Gene were kind of like, you've been a member this long have at it or was it or we have other stuff we're planning right now so have at it uh, well that happened afterwards that we'll talk about that later time. okay <laughs> uh, but yeah I mean as far as that kind of stuff goes it's I think Gene and Paul originally when I was contracted to do the record had full intention of putting this record out yeah mm-hmm had they not, I don't think they would have um, gone as far as making the record. Of course not, yeah. You know what I mean? It costs money to do that shit. Who's fucking bothering me? Um, I thought we were supposed to start boxing or something. Yeah, I know. It was round two. <laughs> <laughs> like the Jerry Springer show. Yeah. Like, Fight now! <laughs> um, and I think that it just became... Um, uh, Bruce's baby because he had I think he has songwriting credit on pretty much every song on this record a lot of them yeah um, and like I said earlier you know he wrote a couple by himself and sings one yeah you know so and I think that's the most he's ever I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's the most that he's ever contributed to a Kiss record oh absolutely yeah so I think he was very, very proud of this, mm-hmm. of the fact that he got to do so much. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure why and what state of mind or what deal he cut or, right. you know, who knows what went on behind the scenes. Yeah. But thank God for him or else we wouldn't have it. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, yeah, and thank, I'm thankful he took so many notes on everything that he did. I mean, that's right. That's incredible. He, it, he did that knowing, you know, that the KISS fans are so rabid for every single little detail. I don't know, but we're glad he did because there's not much out yeah. there on this album and, it, you know, what he provided is great. Um, yeah, because nobody really talks about this album too much. It's like lost in history. Almost. Or if, if, exactly. if you bring it up on KISS message boards, it's either half the people love this album, it's one yeah. of the best things they did, it's a piece of shit, I can't stand it, uh-huh. it's KISS trying to be Nirvana, which I never really got. It's more Kiss trying to be Alice in Chains, but uh-huh. there's a big difference between those two bands, as you well know. Which is why you bring in a guy like Toby. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I can pretty much do anything musically. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, to be brought into a situation where I'm trying to make somebody sound like, unlike themselves, is difficult. Right. Right. You know what I mean? I'm trying to emulate a genre of music with their instruments, but it's, it's difficult because I would have rather had this Kiss record be entirely them and just do what you do because yeah. that's what you do. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, a, a larger number of their fans would have embraced it instead of fighting about that sucks or that's good. Right. You know, but it's cool to have controversy too. That sells records as well. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because everybody's listening. They're like, well, what do you hear in that song that I don't hear? Fuck. You know, oh, yeah, you're right. It sucks. You know, oh, fuck, you're right. Dude, that fucking Charles Redden song, that's pretty good. 
yeah. whatever, you know. Yeah. Well, um, to go to the next song is uh, Master and Slave, written by Paul Stanley, Bruce Keeler, Kirk Cuomo. Um, when this leaked as the dim when the bootleg leaked, I remember this was titled Tell Me. Was that the title of it when it was being recorded? Yeah. I wonder why I got changed to Master and Slave. Um, appeal. Just sounded Sounds cooler. cooler. Yeah. yeah. Um You're gonna check it out more than Tell Me. Yeah. True. Because if, if you look at like Tell Me, you look at Tell Me on a Kiss record. I think of like okay, it's gonna be a here's the Paul yeah. Stanley love battle. Well, there's a, there's also a great White Lion song called Tell Me. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Sounds it's nothing like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Bruce, uh, in his article, he remembers there being some tension in the studio um, between Gene and Paul in regards to how the song was being arranged. Let's think about it. That's what song? Master and Slave. Oh God. For the arrangement to come together because of all the stops and starts and different counts and you know the seven here and an eight here and a six there and mm-hmm. you know because there's different you know for all those stops there's different there's a different count right yeah. and it got a little confusing so I think that was part of the um, <laughs> the tension the tension that you were talking about because right. I think Gene wanted it really simple yeah um, and make everything the same probably so he could remember it and yeah. Paul was like it's fucking badass like that yeah. But it I, needs, I want, and it, vocally it fits perfect. Yeah, you know, it needs those changes though because there's not a lot of changes riff wise. It's pretty much the same riff through the entire song. Agreed. So right. it's there's, they had to kind of make something out of it. You know, and right. the funny thing is, is, it's one of the best songs on the album, yeah. in my opinion, especially one of the best riffs. Oh, for sure. But uh, when you really break it down, it's like it's really just the same riff repeating itself through the whole song, chorus, yeah. verse, everything. It's a loop. Yeah. That's yeah, cool. That but one. I like it. And uh, and I think I remember reading that Gene was the one who had the idea to have it just be the bass guitar during the verses. Say that again? I think I remember reading that it was Gene who... It was his idea to have it just be the bass guitar, go down to just the bass and the bass drum during the verse parts. Unless you remember differently. Uh, I- yeah. It's an awesome bass. I couldn't tell you the truth. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I want to say no fucking way, but, <laughs> but it could very well be. You know, uh, we yeah. we all when we were tracking the record, we went through pre-production, a lengthy process of that. Yeah, um, they came out of demo um, ville right. with you know uh, arrangements that we started with, mm-hmm. and I tweaked those a little bit in the studio. Not a lot, not a whole lot, um, because they were pretty much been arguing about it for the last X amount of time that they were working on it. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's futile to go back and start those arguments over again. Right. Um, you know, and, hey, how about if we put a blah, blah here and a chorus there and a double chorus? 
shut up. We did that three months ago. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's like, okay, so let's not re you know, let's not go back and rehash all that shit. Right. So let's try and improve on what we have. So that's what you know, and we we would we'd sit in the studio and we went round and round about a couple of them. Mm-hmm. You know, this was actually that was one of them. One of them that. You well, know. I can imagine you say at the time, you know, there was no conception of the reunion or any of that happening. So, you know, they got to probably look at it, too, as, are we going to be able to play a song like this live? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, and, and something was. like that would probably be pretty difficult to do live, you know, with, yeah. with the timing and the changes never, and all I've that. I've never heard him play it live. No, but and I think that definitely would have made the set list had it had things stayed the I way would sure. Oh, for so. sure. Yeah, because yeah. it's perfect for a live setting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because when this came out, then all of a sudden it's the reunion tour, so... At the time, I mean, now they do the Kiss Cruise and all that stuff. Yeah. But at the time, they didn't play any of these songs no, live. No, they didn't. Um, well, Bruce has played I Walk Alone during his solo stuff. Yeah. You know, he's brought that out. And I even think he may have played this one, too, if I can remember right, with a with a backing band at one of the conventions. But um, And for the Kiss nerds, Gene plays the bass part on this. The, he plays the Padula bass, and Paul plays the PS10 through a Laney head on this track. Well, all right then. <laughs> it's not from me, it's from Bruce. I believe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I believe it. Yeah. wrote it down. That's this right. is one of the few tracks Gene plays bass on on this album. He does a hell of a job. Bruce plays a lot of Gene's bass on parts Master on Master and Slave? On, yeah, on the, yeah. the Master and Slave. That's Gene. Yeah. Um, well, and let's talk about the scream in the middle of the song, the giant Paul Stanley scream that comes out. Yeah, what about it? Well, it had to... How was that conceived, or was that was that Paul's idea, or yours? It's fucking really good. <laughs> <laughs> and it took like nine months, all, all and then all of a sudden he was giving birth, and, and <laughs> there it was. <laughs> oh, we'll never top that. <laughs> uh, there you have it, folks. Albums unleashed. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I just let the cat out of the bag. Paul did get pregnant during this record. <laughs> No, let's listen to that for a second. It's, See uh, what scream you're talking about. The middle. Oh of yeah, the it's huge. Wake up and start to. What do you say? <laughs> I think it says "Wake up and start to love." Is what he's screaming, but I don't know if that's for I sure. I don't remember. But uh, there's no lyric book in the damn CD. Of course not. <laughs> All there right. is is we a, need one of those damn order form for the original members. Bruce, if you're listening, release the lyrics next, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, do you remember the the, t- the vocal take of that? Oh, there were very many. Yeah. So that's probably a, that sounded to me like a combination of at least two or three. Oh, really? Different screams blended together. Oh, somewhere. really? Yeah. Okay. That scream apparently was used for like a truck commercial a few years later. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. Oh my God. What? Have you guys seen the Folgers commercial? Yes. <laughs> it's glorious, yeah. isn't it? Not? Glorious. Holy shit is all I can say. When was that recorded? I think 99 or something. Like right after Psycho Circus came out. Which is why he's in a circus tent, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. It was with the... (laughs) Anyway, keep going. Yeah, carnival of coffee. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's really... Yeah, it's kind of a speechless thing. Yeah, it's it's like like really... 
When I seen it, I was just like, what the hell is this? That's great. <laughs> I started drinking coffee Am I cutting this part out of the conversation? Oh, um, whatever you well, want. Well, it's your own it's your natural it. reaction. That's fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm a Maxwell I, House man. I, I, <laughs> all I said was, oh my God. I think yeah. Paul probably even said it when he saw it. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> that was kind of, like, saw it. Ooh, not releasing that. Okay. Right, right. I thought exactly. it was a European thing or something. Yeah. You know, I think it release was... crazy commercials overseas. No, that, was, have that we're not overseas. supposed to see. Yeah, I think that's yeah. just an American thing. But... Crazy. All right, so we move on to track four, which is Childhood, Childhood's End, written yes. by Gene Simmons, yes. a guy named Tommy Thayer, yep. and Bruce. You don't know who Tommy Thayer is? Yeah, I'm making a joke. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Thayer is wearing Spaceman makeup. Right yeah. as we speak, yeah, exactly. playing in Japan right now. Exactly. Um, well, Tommy was around. He filmed a lot of the recording of this album. Tommy was around. Um, he was in a band called Black and Blue before. Yeah. You know, that's how I met him originally, and then he popped up as Gene's assistant. Right. Um, and, you know, he's a good musician himself. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. he's out there with him now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's been with Gene for a long time, mm-hmm. um, you know, just hanging out doing his thing. Yeah. Um, but I like Tommy. He's a cool dude. Yeah. You know, and... Just he's right to hang out with Gene and Paul. Right, they just they get along well. They get along really well, yeah. And that's that's you know Gene needs friends. He to, Tommy uh, mentioned it in friends that know their role. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But he, Tommy mentioned in an interview that like you know we see the five minute thing on Kissology of the recording of this, just a little mashup. But he said that, that like he recorded tons of footage of this. Oh, I'm sure he did. He was there every day. I'd love to see that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, it's it's a shame that that didn't get released in a bigger form. You know, I'm happy we got five minutes of it at least, but right. I was like, this tells you how much more we could have gotten out of this. You know. Yeah. And what they probably, you know, again, they didn't know about the reunion yet. You know, they had plans. Like I'm sure, just like they released home videos, they probably had home video plans yeah. for this. You know, music video everything. plans, oh, everything, yeah. just as if it were a new Kiss record. Because when, when the writing and demos were going on, they were already hyping it. Like, uh-huh. They were building fans. I was super excited for this, you know, yeah. when it was being written. And um, well, I was I was, told, was teased for a long time. We're shipping platinum. Really? Mm-hmm. Imagine how disappointed I was. Yeah. So they had a lot of hopes pinned on this before things changed. Yes. And then the phone call came. Right, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, Childhood's End has. You know, as much as the grungy sound of the album is on there, um, Gene's Beatles influences come through on yeah, this song. Yeah, for sure. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. And um, there's a rumor, well, there's a, like, the, the lyrics are about, like, a, a friend dying that he read about dying, and there's a rumor that I've heard from a couple of people that um, he had a childhood friend named Seth Dogramagian was his name, and he was a guy who played in bands with Gene back in the, like, New York days, and when they were in high school or whatever. And he that he passed away, and that that's who the song's about. Do you remember Gene talking about who the song's about or anything? No. Sunday morning in the New York Times. I read you died last night. It said you were smiling when you blew your mind. And the note you left. Seems like 
tell me. I don't remember yeah. anything past that. Right. I do know it's a pretty personal song to him. Very. Yeah. And Tommy helped write this. So um, there's, a, the, there's a children's choir in this song. Huh? So the was, children of the dam. Yeah, children right. of the dam. So yeah. it's kind of the <laughs> That's what they call them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the true, they're really the Crossroads Boys Choir. Was the ch- the children's choir thing planned right from the get go with this song, or was that come in later? It came in as we were tracking it. Um, yeah. You know, and because and, you know what, what I like to do with my artists is talk to them about the vision yeah. that they have for each song. You know, because each song is its own mm-hmm. own baby. So, right. you know, I like to talk about what do we need for this song? What do we need to achieve that vision? Um, and this did, and that did come up in it. You know, we talked about you know the way Ezra did the wall, and, mm-hmm. you know, shit like that. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, maybe we can cop a little bit of that right. attitude for this thing. You know? Yeah. And he's like, ooh, that might be kind of perfect. It gives yeah. it a bigger feel. It gives it a much bigger feel. Yeah. Um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of this song from the very beginning. Yeah. I just, it didn't hit me as all right. This is going to be like killer. I thought there were much stronger songs. Well, I agree with you. Um, but. You know, it's, yeah. again, there there was a democracy going on in the room, mm-hmm. and you know it's Gene's band, so what are you going to do? Yeah, you suck. No, you don't get any songs on this record. You can't do that. That's right. just ridiculous. <laughs> I like it. I think it's. I like. I, it, I love the way Gene sings on the song. He he sings pretty almost. You know what I mean? I, I tried to get him to sing as pretty as he could. Yeah. As we all know, he doesn't have the most pretty voice that we've ever heard. And this is about as pretty as it gets for Gene Simmons. Well, it's it's emotional too. For yeah. Him. Yeah, you, you can know, tell. Yeah, it meant you a feel lot the to emotion. Him. And that and yeah. then that was why, you know, a big part of the reason why I acquiesced to having it on the record was because of its personal nature yeah. to him. Yeah. Uh, I do that a lot. With, with music and musicians and they write a special song for their grandmother or about their buddy who died Yeah, you don't want to axe it, yeah. It, it, it's not about, I don't want to axe it because right. of that. If it's a great song, it's right. going on there no matter what. Sure. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people won't, you know, they'll be like, oh, that's too personal of a song, dude, I could never play that live. Let's put it out anyway. See yeah. what happens. Let's record it and see what happens. Yeah. You know, and just, just start off one step, one little baby step, just record <laughs> the song. You know, see what it feels like when you're done. You can always say no and fucking burn it later. Yeah. You know, and I did that with Jerry a couple times. Cantrell. Yeah. You know, and we, there's some there's some, some songs on, shit. on his stuff that, you know, is super personal to him, but he never would have recorded. Yeah. Had I not gone, <laughs> that fucking song right there, dude, needs to be on a record. People need to hear that. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Mm. Please. Yeah. Well, sometimes so, that's what a good thing for to have a producer. You need somebody to tell you that sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, a little reassurance, a little confidence that you know, it's okay to hang your fucking balls out there once in a while, right? You yeah. know, the, and be fine with it. You know, you're not going to get hurt. You're fine. Yeah. You know? One of the funny things from the the footage we got on Kissology is there's footage of the choir in the in the oh, recording right. room and then right. Paul's in the control room with you and Bruce right. and Paul starts yelling at them over the intercom like don't touch anything right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we had fun that day yeah. you know, that's for sure I always got the sense that he really enjoyed busting Gene's balls on just about anything he could I think so too yeah <laughs> yeah I mean you know who wouldn't yeah. <laughs> well, you put it like that. Yeah. Well, if you, if you want to get a rise out of somebody, who better than Gene oh, Simmons? Absolutely, oh, absolutely. Because there's so much to pick on. It's not even funny because he's so super serious. So. Yeah, all the time. Oh uh, yeah, 
So if you could kind of make him look like a clown, it's even better. Yeah, know? I just yeah, it's pretty funny. Paul's good at it. Yeah, he's had some practice. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do want to bring this up about this song. Um, Bruce talks in his article about a stressful mixing session for this this track with you and Gene. That Gene was pushing way too hard to have the bass super high up in the mix, and you were kind of like, it doesn't need to be this high. And he was just being super bullheaded about it. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and then I remember what happened in mastering, too. <laughs> <laughs> EQ down. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, you know, yeah. told him how I feel, of course, about, you know, having to bass that hot in the mix. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, no, it's, it's not apropos. It's killing the, you know, it's killing the groove. It's, you know, it's just taking up too much space. It's too big. Yeah. You know, he needed it. Oh, right. okay, there you go. You know, and I put it up there, and he was happy, cool, print a mix for him, you know, very nice. And But I also printed one before that. Right. Um, and which, you know, when we came to choosing all the master mixes, mm-hmm. of course, Gene chose his bass up mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it went across Stephen Markson's plate, uh, who was a mastering engineer, he's like, whoa, the bass is really loud on this song. You got one with the bass down? So you're right. Here it is. Yeah. Done. So this this album did go through a lot of editing in the mastering process, yeah, uh, which is highly unusual. Yeah, um, but I, I remember two or three days of editing with with Stephen, and it just for whatever reason, you know, Gene's wanting to try different things here and there. Yeah. Now let's try it like this. No, if you EQ this like this, and if you put that one in, da, 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 and just all the different possibilities. Right. Um, not quite sure why he went through that exercise still yeah. to this day, but I learned a lot, so that's fine. Well, <laughs> it's one of those things where the, the artist should be the artist and the producer should be the producer. Yeah. And one person needs to trust the other person on yeah. what they're doing. But, but in this case, Gene was both. He, he was, was a producer. And yeah, that's producer true. Too. So Maybe that was just him going... There, yeah, I produced maybe something. That, Amen. Throwing his yeah. weight around a bit. Yeah, there, 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 to, that happened doing. quite a bit. Yeah, you know, there's no, no bullshit about it. You know, there's certain people in the room that threw their weight around a lot more than others, and yeah, there certain things went certain ways because of that. Right. You know, and and just because I'm a producer doesn't mean that I'm the end all be all. It's not part of the design right. of how it works. If there's really? five guys in a band. You know, or four guys in a band, and I'm number five. I break the democracy. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like I have two votes or anything. It's no. just like, okay, how do you feel? You feel? You feel? You feel? And I vote for blank. Right. You know, and boom, there you go. We got three to two. Okay, three wins. Go. Yeah. There was also a um, an outro mental jam thing piece that was originally going to be be a fade going to fade back in on the end of this that Bruce mentions. Like it was childhoods in fades out, and then the outro mental would. I mean, it wasn't even called outro mental, but it wound up being called that when they put it on the box set. Because that's yeah. the outro mental thing is a weird thing. Because like, oh, is it on the box set? It made it. To yeah. The box? yeah. Well, that's oh, the wow. weird thing. Because like on the the advance release that I guess you guys got to listen to before it came out, it had it on there, but it was on the end of I Walk Alone. Right. Then it got officially released, and they cut the damn thing. Right. And then the box set came out, and they threw it on the box set. Agreed. I so agree. I think that's so right. strange, though. Big a deal. I mean, 
to somebody. I, because I've heard it, and I think it's I great. I wasn't involved in any of those decisions. <laughs> yeah, but yeah I, got, I didn't know until Bruce's piece that it was initially supposed to be at the end of childhood then. It was going to fade out, and then that was going to fade in. Right. But pretty interesting. Hmm. So then we get to the quote-unquote ballad of the album, is I Will Be There, track five, mm-hmm. which stands out among all the other tracks because it's a, an acoustic ballad yeah. written about and for Paul Sun Heaven. Which this really this this that'll make you feel old knowing you know how old the kid is now. Uh-huh. We met him like two months he ago. Six, right? Yeah, he was like six at the time. Now he's, right, like, he's like six 20, or he's seven. He's now. in his twenties now. <laughs> Shut up, he's seven. Yeah. <laughs> he looked a lot older than seven yeah. when we met him a few months ago. But tall, seven-year-old. Yeah. He was With a driver's car. license. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was actually in town interning for Doc's company. Oh wow. Yeah, for a couple of months. Super so cool guy. He came cool out to kid. that residency cool. thing and, and played. And boy. What a guitar player. Oh, I bet. He's amazing. He's a great, better than his dad, honestly. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Just a nice guy. Super too, nice kid. Know? Yeah, very well adjusted. Makes me want to go home and write a song for my son. Yeah. If, if my son had turned out like Evan, then I'll go home and write him a song. There you go. But that's the way it works. But people are going to think you're singing about Ace Fraley. Oh, yeah. His son's name is Ace. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write two songs. <laughs> one for Ace and one for Ace. What about Jeff Beck? Yeah. Um, I Will Be There is an interesting song. Like, there's a lot of tablas and other instruments being played in this song. Let's hear that song. Each and every day People turn away Change the things they feel Change the things they say sound of this since we didn't use piano because this is a perfect piano song yeah um and you know it would have been ended up me playing piano uh-huh. and i don't consider myself a recording artist so okay. i didn't play back then i play i think i played drums on jungle maybe really really um yeah nice. i think so i think i played i have um gym bass yeah and i think i played the gym bass on it Cool. Um, I don't know if that's what we ended up keeping, or if it was when Eric did, or if we when we played together, because we had a whole bunch of different like drum circle things go on for that. Right. Um, but yeah, this is mostly a piano song, and I was trying to get the most harmonics I could out of the strings. Yeah. Without hiring strings as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know there's banjos and there's all kinds of shit. Well, there are strings on it though. Yeah, there are yeah, later. Later in the song. Yeah, and yeah. it has to fill in you know the harmonic content. Right. So, but it was just about getting different, you know, different acoustic instruments in there to kind of fill it out a little bit. Right. You so you do I mean? bring Bruce like ten different guitar type things. Oh yeah. He must. It was Bruce playing the banjo and everything. Yeah. Wow. He played, he played yeah. everything. He, play, he plays the bass part too. Yeah. He yeah. played everything on this song. Wow. He plays a 1967 EB3 on it. 
the bass mm-hmm. part. But the, in the, the, when the string section comes in, it's really beautiful. I, it's it a, it, beautiful it's one of the best ballads Paul's ever written. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's a, it's a great song. Um, I forget who I got to arrange the strings. And I almost want to say David Campbell, but I don't think I knew David Campbell when I made this record. David Campbell is Beck's dad. Yeah, yeah. He also did their symphony thing when they did that. Yeah. And then we get to uh, Jungle, just track six, written by Paul, Bruce, and Kurt. Paul, Bruce, and Kurt, a lot on this A album. lot on this record. Um, Spent a lot of time at that house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bruce plays the bass on this song. Um, uh-huh. Uses a something called a, a Mutron Phaser 2 pedal, which is like a 70s... Yeah, it's a 70s Mutron pedal, a big-ass blue... Yeah, he mentioned that you pushed for for that effect on the, yes. on the song. Yes, yes. I, I love to, and I probably played the effect as well. Yeah. Because um, what happens is it, sometimes I'll be doing a, a, a part, and, and a certain riff will need something. Mm-hmm. And I'll run and get a blankety-blank and plug it in and go, play that riff. Oh, that's awesome. Now play the whole thing. And I'll play the pedal as he plays the part. Gotcha. You know, because like I said, doing two things at the same time sometimes don't work out for you that well. Right. You know, so when we're recording, I just don't take the pedals and I'll just do it, you know. That's cool. The, uh... And this was, that was the single, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was, Yeah, Jungle uh, was a single. This is the only single that was released from the album. Um, I remember hearing it on radio yeah. and just being blown away. song like the jungle it fit on what was on rock radio at the time you right. know because you got the alice chains and the corn and all that's really popular the jungle really isn't like you couldn't take and play alice in chains rock and roll all night corn you know right. but you, you can put that. the jungle in there and it does flow, it flow better yeah, yeah. It definitely had a current sound to it, and it went with. Uh, they were playing it on radio. Oh, it charted at like number eight on rock radio, right. which was their highest charting ever on rock radio. So, <laughs> got yeah. and it won the uh, Metal Edge Reader's Choice Song of the Year award in '97. It did. Yeah, so our votes did count. Sweet. Back then. Yeah, 
So, I mean, people, people should not hear it. You look at that, man. That's something because a lot of more popular and, and bigger selling albums came out in 97. But, yeah. you know, it's Metal Edge. They, they stick with their kiss. That's true. But the... Uh, the tribal drumming is is awesome on it, you know, and it, mm-hmm. of course it fits the whole jungle theme. That was the whole the premise of yeah. having all that drum circle stuff that we recorded. Was it kind it's of cool. musically they had the tribal sound, and then that's how the name Jungle came up, and then they wrote lyrics around it. Uh, yeah, I would say that probably. to be true. It's yeah. probably a groove that started out. Oh, this is kind of jungle like. Yeah. Oh, let's just let's work on that jungle song. Yeah. And it just you know just kept going like that, and I'm sure that you know. Yeah. The theme kept popping up in Paul's head, I'm sure. So right, and I remember, as as, as I've apologized for, I had the bootleg version of this first, but um, did, we didn't have no choice back. Well, then. it came That's out. All there was it came out on a couple the of million people. Yeah, I did buy it though. But um, That's nice of you. Thank you. <laughs> I got the bootleg, and I, my roommate in college was a DJ, and we were all excited because. Um, he had a 9-gig hard drive, and that was huge. Oh, shit. Yeah, and that was the fastest thing there was in 96 or whatever. Right. And we downloaded it. It took two days to download the album. <laughs> <laughs> and then we wired up his home stereo thing with a, with a tape deck and recorded it onto a cassette. Nice. And it sounded like it was played through a paper bag. Right. <laughs> but it was new Kiss music that hadn't right. been heard yet, and I was freaking out. Uh-huh. And this song in particular... Me and my Korean friend Dayu, who was in the dorm with me, the guy you met, the place we did the, the right. last interview at, right. he heard that song and he went, and he wasn't even a Kiss fan at all, and he he went ape shit. And me and him must have listened to the Jungle twenty times in a row or something. Nice, because we it sounded Kiss. Talk about it sounding way different from anything they had done before. That mm-hmm. song in particular, but it like when I heard, it, I was like, that sounds like a radio single. Yeah, you know, especially that, for the time. Yeah, because it was, and but also what's awesome about it is how long it goes for, like how the extended jam part at the end of the song where it just keeps, mm-hmm. yeah, it keeps keep grooving going, and going, right? And honestly, I was in college it's at the time, seven minutes long. Yeah, I was in college at the time. At full disclosure, this was a fantastic song to get stoned to and just relax. <laughs> Amen, brother. Nice. It really, really was. <laughs> Well, sometimes, you know, you just got to make that kind of music. It was yeah. perfect. And then, like, a, Bruce's guitar solo has, like, a cream-type sound to it. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Like, it just, it's a fantastic song. It really is. I, I mean, agree. Yeah. I like it a lot. And yeah. I put a lot, of, a lot of work into that one. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I really like it. I thought it was very unique for Kiss, um, and I thought it fit the record really well, too. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's always good to sit down and talk to Toby Wright. And man, it's only part one. Yeah, we're just getting started. Oh man, this has been so much fun. I, you know, we we love Kiss here at the Decibel Geek Podcast. I think that's pretty obvious, you know. And we're not just a Kiss website, but you know, or a podcast. But we've got a lot going on as far as hard rock and heavy metal. Kiss just happens to be our favorite. Sure. And so we're always gonna put the emphasis on that. We know there's a whole lot of Kiss fans representing the Kiss Army all over the world. That loves it when we do KISS stuff, so it's all good. That's right. And uh, just go to the website, decibelgeek.com, and um, check out the articles, a lot of great articles. Buy a T-shirt. Yeah. And I'm belching all this beer. And, um, <laughs> nice. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, we have uh, a lot of stuff going on at the website, a lot of writers doing great things, and uh, we're going to have a big announcement really, really soon. Oh, man, you guys are going to love it. Love 
things are going to go up another notch. So, um, but yeah, we'll be back next week with part two of the Carnival of Souls albums unleashed, and uh, we'll see you then. See ya. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.